Let's read. We're, we're continuing our sermon series through the book of, or the first few chapters of the book of Luke for Advent. We're going to be reading from verses 39 to 56 this evening. So if you have your Bible, you can follow with me or you can read on the screen behind me. In those days, Mary arose and went in haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, "'Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb.'" And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for another year where we can reflect upon the birth of Jesus Christ and do so with joy. As we have already been speaking and singing about joy to the world, coming and adoring our Savior, I pray that as we listen to your word, Lord, you would give us hearts that treasure what you say in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we've been singing, we've already sung joy to the world, Christmas is a time of joy. It's probably one of the only times in the world when people are expected to be happy. You are expected to be happy at Christmas. In my culture, we have words for people who aren't happy at Christmas. We call them things like Scrooge and Grinch. Christmas is a time of joy, and there are good reasons to be happy at Christmas. I love the decorations that happen at Christmas time. I cannot tell you how good it did my heart to come in and to see this room decorated so it looks like a Christmas service rather than. We have. Luambo, we have Puto Boombong, we have Eggnog, right? I love Christmas time, and it makes us happy, right? We, we even have kind of rules of you can't sing this song until after this date because you just want to get the most happiness out of it, 
Some of us even sing those songs to karaoke. And God wants us to be happy at Christmas time. Do you know that? God wants us to be happy at Christmas. God is not a cosmic Scrooge looking down and getting upset at all the people who are taking delight at Christmas time. C.S. Lewis described pleasure as God's tool. Joy, happiness, pleasure, those are God's. Satan can twist them, but God is a happy God. He is a joyful God. And he wants us to be happy at Christmas time. But what he wants is he wants all of this stuff, all of the non-spiritual things that we can enjoy, he wants them to lead us to the fountain of joy, the place of deepest joy, the birth of Jesus Christ in fulfillment to God's promises. At Christmas time, the highest joy that we can experience is the joy that comes from being a recipient of God's mercy. The joy that comes from being found in His Son. So tonight, we're going to continue our Advent series, as we've just read, looking at Luke 1, 39 to 56. And as we look at this text, we're going to see glimpses of joy, and we're going to draw out three themes that are three words. So the first is reversal. Reversal. The second is promise. And the third is joy. But before we get into those themes, let's, let's get some background and some context and just kind of walk quickly through this text. So our passage picks up right after the angel Gabriel appears to Mary. We don't know how much time has passed, but the passage says that in her haste, we just read it, in her haste, Mary arose and went to the town of Judah and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So, angel Gabriel appears to Mary, and he makes a promise. He promises that she will be the mother of the king who would sit on David's throne. And this is amazing and miraculous because she is a virgin. She's never known a man. She has no husband. And after she hears that, she goes to stay with her cousin Elizabeth for three months. Elizabeth, we, we jumped right into kind of the middle of chapter 1. If we were to go back, Elizabeth has also received news of a miracle pregnancy. Elizabeth has been old and struggling with barrenness and infertility for years. It says she was righteous, she and her husband both, but they had no child. And yet, God creates life in her womb. She, Elizabeth, would be the mother. She conceives a son, and she would be the mother of a prophet after Elijah who would prepare the people of Israel for the coming of the Messiah. If you have your Bibles, you can look at verse 15 of chapter 1. Just look back a couple verses. This is how John the Baptist marries, or Elizabeth's son, is described. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, he will turn many of the children to Israel, to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So God has worked through two 
miracle pregnancies, providing an old couple with a baby who would prepare the way for the Lord and then miraculously putting the Lord in Mary's womb so that she would be the mother of the king who would sit on David's throne. Two women, two miracle pregnancies in the same room. And as Mary and Elizabeth meet, listen to what happens. Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, and the baby in her womb leaped. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Mary comes to Elizabeth. Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting, and John jumps for joy in her womb. And then she herself exclaims, Holy Spirit-inspired words. And Mary responds... Likewise, with Holy Spirit-inspired words, but in the form of a song. This is what, at least in, in uh, my Bible, it has the, the title for what people have called this song throughout church history, the Magnificat. This is a famous song. It's, it's modeled after another song in the Old Testament from Hannah, the mother of Samuel. Mary sings, "'My soul magnifies the Lord.'" My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is, those, is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary's singing this song, praising God for his work. And then the passage says, she remained with Elizabeth for about three months, and then returned to her home. So that's a quick walkthrough of our passage. Two miracle pregnancies, two spirit-led speeches from two righteous women, and we're going to draw out three themes to unpack. So the first is that of reversal. Reversal. Reversal is the principle that we will see embodied in Jesus's ministry. The first will be last. The last will be first. He who humbles himself will be exalted. The exalted will be humbled. Reversal, change. God concerns himself with the humble. That's what our text screams. We have women who are vulnerable in society, women who were humbled by their circumstances, and the Almighty God of the universe cared about them. He concerned himself with them. Mary says in verse 51, 
God has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He brought down the mighty from their thrones, and he exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. Mary is praising God for the work of reversal that she's done. The rebellious, the exalted, the high and mighty brought down. The humble, the poor, the empty, exalted. The rich and the powerful have their status reversed in Mary's song. Meanwhile, God exalts those of humble estate, and he fills the hungry with good things. Now, we should be asking ourselves, I think, as careful readers of the Bible, why does Mary praise God for this? Why is Mary praising God that rich are brought down and poor are brought up? I mean, think about it. There's nothing Christian, nothing overtly Christian, about poor people wanting to become rich. There's nothing overtly Christian about poor people wanting to see rich people brought down. Right? We can even think, in fact, of stories from our cultures or from literature that talks about those who were from humble roots, from poor beginnings, rising to prominence, only to become exactly like the people that they went out against. So we say, I'll never be like that when I'm in a position of authority, and then we get authority, and we use that authority to put other people down. So the simple act of reversal is not necessarily Christian. And then when we think about it, we think, okay, so why is Mary praising God that the rich are brought down? After all, she carries in her womb the king of the universe. How should we think about rich saints in the Old Testament? We had Abraham. We had Jacob. We had King David. Does their being rich mean that God is against them? If you're here in this room and you're a CEO, you're a manager, you're a pastor, you're in a position that's elevated of authority, does God oppose you? How should we understand Mary's song? I think the key to understanding this reversal is found in verse 49. Verse 49, Mary says, He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Who are the recipients of God's mercy? Who are the recipients of God's favor? Those who fear God. Fearing God is what it means to be truly humble. Fearing God means we live our lives in humility, in proper perspective of who God is, and in His exalted state, we recognize our own humility. Fearing God means we worship Him, respect Him, honor Him, live before Him in a way that submits to who He is. This is what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 5. He calls us to clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. How do you humble yourselves? You cast your anxieties upon him, knowing that he cares for you. Earlier in 1 Peter, he's going to call us to conduct ourselves with fear. When we humble ourselves under God, submitting to who he is and his authority, we are fearing him. We are living rightly before him. Mary's song shapes humility and exaltation around the posture of one's heart before God. She's talking about spiritual realities. She's talking about those who oppose God and elevate themselves against God, and those who submit to God and humble themselves before God. It is completely possible to be humbled in the eyes of the world and proud in your heart towards God. And it is possible to be exalted in the eyes of the world and humble in your heart towards God. If you elevate yourselves to the position of pride against God, if you approach God making demands upon him, you must do this for me, God, then what you're doing is you are exalting yourself against him. But if you humble yourselves under his sovereign will, like Elizabeth, like Mary, you will find yourself exalted. This leads to the second theme of our verse, promise, promise. The reason why Mary is ultimately exalted, is ultimately blessed, is because she trusted in what God promised her. She trusted that he would fulfill what he had said. Listen to Elizabeth's words to her. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of the womb, and blessed is she, Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. We saw last week, God comes to Mary with a promise. Behold, you will conceive, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Promise. What are you going to do with this, Mary? How are you going to respond to this promise from the Lord? Mary believes it. She trusts it. She receives it in faith, that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her. But this promise of a miraculous conception of a virgin birth, it's not the only promise that Mary believes. And that's what her song shows us. Mary understands that the birth of Jesus fits within a series of promises. It fits within a line of promises. And she orients it within that. Listen to how her song ends. God's been making promises to his people over and over and over again throughout the Bible. And listen to what Mary says. He has helped his servant Israel in remembering his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. That's the climax of Mary's song. He has remembered mercy spoken to Abraham and to our fathers forever. Last week, Pastor John showed us how the Old Testament leaves clues to 
who Jesus would be. We see that he would be a king who would sit on David's throne. We see that he would be born of a virgin. And we see that he would be holy like his heavenly father. Mary's song shows us another clue to who Jesus would be. He would be the offspring of Abraham. He would fulfill the promise that was made to Abraham. Jesus' coming was not something completely new. It was a new thing, but it wasn't something completely new. It fit within a series of works of redemption that God had been doing. Do you guys know what dominoes are? Those little tiles that you can... I don't actually know how you play the game dominoes, but what I do know what you can do is you can stack them on their side, and you can make really cool shapes and patterns with them. And by knocking over a single domino, what it does is all the other dominoes start to fall over. You can go on YouTube and you can watch people do rooms full of dominoes. And when you knock one over, it sends this ripple effect, knocking over every other domino until this beautiful pattern or this beautiful line takes off. Jesus' birth is a massive domino that knocks over the fulfillment of all of the promises that God made to his people in the Old Testament. This is why the Apostle Paul says, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. His birth fit within a broader scheme, and when he comes, the other dominoes start to fall. In this beautiful pattern, in this beautiful picture of redemption and fulfillment emerges. Mary praises God for remembering his mercy to Abraham, and she is blessed for this. Elizabeth calls the baby in Mary's womb, my Lord. She recognizes the authority of Jesus and how he fits within the promise made to David. What's the promise made to Abraham that Mary sings about? Well, it comes from Genesis 12. You guys who've been around since our Genesis series probably remember this, hopefully pretty well. We saw it over and over again throughout the book of Genesis. The promise that the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and of you, Abram, I will make a great nation. I will bless those who bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless him, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, Abram, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Mary rejoices in God because he has remembered this promise. That promise made to Abraham centuries upon centuries ago, God has kept it. And he's kept it in the birth of Jesus. Jesus is the offspring of Abraham who would bless all the families of the earth. Jesus is not just Israel's Messiah. Jesus is the hope of the nations. He is the Savior of the world. And so Mary rejoices in singing this global promise that would come through Abraham's offspring has come in the person of Jesus. And this leads to the final theme that we'll be looking at from our passage, 
joy. Joy. If there's one word to sum up the emotional feel of this passage, it's joy. This is really hard to communicate in a mask when you guys can't actually see them smiling, but I'm trying to smile because this is a happy, happy passage. Joy is shot through all of it. Baby John, baby John, in his mother's womb, probably six months pregnant, leaps for joy because he hears the coming of the mother of his Lord. Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary. The baby leaped in her womb. Elizabeth exclaims, Behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Joy. Babies in the womb know to delight in Jesus. (laughs) Fetuses glorify their Savior from the womb. Elizabeth exclaims, in a loud voice, marveling with joy at the privilege that she has. Who am I? Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? What a privilege. Mary's song overflows in joy. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on my humble estate For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. They'll call me happy. John's joy, Elizabeth's joy, Mary's joy, 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 all because of the birth of Jesus in fulfillment to God's promises. All this joy because Jesus is the hope of the world. This baby Jesus was born as the promised offspring of Abraham. He is the one we've been waiting for. The one who would come to bless all the peoples of the earth. To bless all the families of the earth. To make all the families of the earth happy in God. And how would he do it? This baby Jesus would do it through his death. Listen to how the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Why did this happen? Paul says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, to the nations, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The way in which the promise of Abraham was going to be fulfilled, would come through a crucified and risen Savior. Remember our first theme of reversal? This is the greatest reversal of all. This is the God who created the universe, the God who sustains the universe by the word of his power, comes humbly to be born as a baby, to die for his enemies. The long-awaited king, crucified like a criminal, so that the humbled might be exalted, and the exalted might be shown to be humbled. Redeemer, the highest joy 
that we can experience this Christmas is marveling in the mercy of God, is by recognizing that we are recipients of grace upon grace because Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. That's the joy that Mary, Elizabeth, and baby John knew. The greatest happiness that they had and that we can have is being found in Jesus by faith. Do you marvel at the truth of the gospel? Does it knock you over day after day? The fact that we, rebellious by nature, we are the proud. We are the exalted who exalt ourselves against God. That Jesus came to die for us. Does that make you happy? Does that bring you joy and pleasure and happiness? This is not a how to become a Christian sermon, though that's how you become a Christian. Marveling in the gospel is how you live as a Christian. It is how day in and day out we recognize the mercies of God new every morning that come to us through Christ. And we say with the Apostle Paul, in awe of the one who loved us and gave himself for us. We live by faith, trusting in him. Not a single one of us in this room deserves to have a happy Christmas. And yet because of Jesus, every one of us in this room can have the happiest of Christmases. A Christmas that experiences the joy of fellowship with God, of having God as a friend, as a father, because we are found in his son, Jesus, by faith. And this makes all the difference for how we experience Christmas during this season. Just think, I mean, I'm, I'm marveling at this this last week. Think about the hardship that either had come already in the past or from our text was going to come to both of these two women. Elizabeth, years upon years of hoping for a baby and not having it. How many tears were shed? How many miscarriages had she and her husband experienced? How many, how many feelings of shame had she experienced because she could not do what was expected of a woman in her culture? And she carried that with her for decades. And Mary, Mary's at the beginning here. She is just now pregnant. What's she going to experience when her fiancé, her betrothed, starts getting suspicious about where this baby came from? What sort of shame is she going to feel when she's walking down the street and people are looking and they start doing the math in their head about when she and Joseph were wed and how far along she is and start jumping to unwarranted conclusions? Mary is entering into a season of pain, of societal shame, 
And yet, how does she respond to it in our passage? Joy. The joy doesn't take away the pain. Those tears that Elizabeth cried were real. The looks that Mary will get are real. And yet, this joy overshadows all of it because they see the goodness of God. They're not taken out of their pain, but what they are is they're given eyes to see who God is in their pain. He is the fulfiller of promises. He is the trustworthy one that you can cast anything that you have upon him, and he will sustain you. He is the one who meets the humbled, the low, the outcast, the orphan, the widow. That's your God. I don't know where all of you guys are at, going into the end of the year. Some of you may have had the best year of your life, and you're basically dancing your way out of 2021. Some of you may be crawling into the end of the year or trying to just hold on to get there. The good news of Christmas is that Christ was born for you. So that in your circumstance, joyful or difficult, you can have everlasting joy. He has come to be your best gift ever. I love how Sovereign Grace's song, they released it last year, Sovereign Grace's song, O Come All You Unfaithful. We know the old song, O Come All You Faithful. O Come All You Unfaithful. I love how it holds out the hope of Christmas. It says, O Come all you unfaithful. Come weak and unstable. Come, know that you're not alone. Oh, come barren and waiting ones like Elizabeth. Weary of praying, come. See what your God has done. Christ is born. Christ is born. Christ is born for you. So come, though you have nothing, come. He is the offering, come. See what your God has done. Christ is born for you. Christ was born so that the humbled might be exalted. Christ was born so that the sorrowful might experience fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore at his right hand. Christ was born so that wherever we are this year, we can experience the joy of fellowship with God at Christmas. Christ is born for you. Jesus, we praise you that you came into this world born of a virgin, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might experience the hope of eternal life that comes from being found in you. Thank you for the joy of Christmas and the privilege we have of rejoicing like Mary in God our Savior. We pray that you would help us to treasure you this season. In Jesus' name, amen.